Thanks so much for that, Ken, and uh, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to come and uh, bring this message to you. I really don't think we've got enough time to dig into just the incredible content of, of this passage of Scripture, but I hope to just touch on a few things uh, which will allow us to go home and reread this passage and explore it a little bit more. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Charlie. I'm one of the pastors from SDBC, and it's really interesting that the two times I've been here lately that uh, Joy and Judy have been here as well. And way back in the dim dark ages, uh, 15 to 20 years ago, Joy and I used to actually go to small churches uh, around the Gladstone region. I was part of the Christian Motorcyclist Association. I wasn't a pastor. And uh, we used to go and preach and uh, take services for those people. So it's quite funny doing this again every time. This happens, I just remember those times up in the Gladstone region and uh, it's great to be able to come and share with you and uh, certainly um, for our, our worship team and our church to help you as a whole. So allow me to bring greetings from SDBC, uh, they constantly pray for you and uh, certainly we're praying for Pastor Josh at the moment, we trust that he'll be restored to full health and be back with you full time very, very soon and uh, we continue to pray for that. Right now, can I just ask you guys um, to pray for us? this afternoon. We have a very significant members meeting where hopefully our new constitution and governance will be passed and uh, this was put off for two weeks so uh, I'd really like it to happen this afternoon. So uh, let's just uh, be praying for that a bit later if you will. That would be fantastic. So this morning we're continuing this series uh, as has already been said and um, John and from John, sorry, and I hope again that I can do justice to this. And our reading this morning started with the words, and now little children. And it's a term where John is signifying a change of direction or subject, but it also points back to what he was actually saying before. And it's like he was saying, because of this, you little children. And so it's important that we consider what was said before, so we take what's before us in context. So what was he talking about? And he was providing warnings to his readers of the Antichrist, those who distort the truth through false teaching and their unrighteous living as well. And in the reading which we heard this morning, John is now going to focus more on encouraging, exhorting, assuring and building up the true believers and those who are reading this letter. So they will be less vulnerable to being deceived. And also, he wants them to experience the awe, the wonder, and the sheer joy of knowing they have been adopted as sons of the Most High God, children of God, who are being refined day by day, and who by that adoption will not shrink away on the day of the Lord, but they'll be confident when he appears, they will greet him, they will want to see him. And our hope is caught up in the return of Christ. We look forward to and long for that day. When Jesus finally appears, catching us up with him, to be with him forever, we'll be given new bodies, bodies that will not decay, bodies that will not experience death, and we'll be taken to a place where there's no more pain, no more heartache, no more sin. What a day. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the privilege and honour for each of us, Lord, to carry your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that you, by power of Holy Spirit, reveal the truth of that word to us. And Lord, this morning, that's my prayer. I just ask that the truth of your word will be revealed to us. I ask by power of Holy Spirit that every person hearing my voice, Lord, will just be prompted 
by something in this message this morning, Lord, that will cause them to want to dig deeper into it, to seek what you were saying to them as individuals. So, Father, do your work as only you can. Through power of Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I find it very interesting that speaking about the church as a whole, uh, we don't really talk about the second coming of Christ too much. And, and I think that's pretty sad. But So what John is saying to and is pointing here is that we should conduct ourselves in, a, in light of Jesus' return. We should be thinking about the fact that Christ is going to return and that should be one of the things that prompts and motivates, to live a, motivates us to live a life that is God-honouring. And it's interesting sometimes when you say to people, if you knew Jesus was coming back today, how would you live? And there's all these things that they would do it differently. There's all these people that they would speak to all of a sudden. But the reality is, as Christians, that's exactly how we should be living. We should be living in light of Christ's return. We should be expecting that. We should be looking forward to it with enthusiasm. And I think uh, even myself as a leader have failed to talk so much about the return of Christ as we should. And so this is a call for all believers to stand up and to be counted and for us to not take our salvation or the return of Christ for granted. It's a call for us to live counterculturally and in such a righteous manner that those who are looking on can see Christ in us. And when they see Christ in us, they are drawn to that. It's attraction. But what should happen is this should be a natural event. It should be something because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we should reflect him. Children take on the attributes of their parents. Praise God, my kids took on most of my wife's. But, you know, it, it's the same for us, for God. Spiritually speaking, he's our spiritual father. And so we should take on the attributes of God and reflect that in this world. And people should be drawn to that. But how do we do that? First and foremost, our confidence must be in Christ. Just before this passage, John has said that his readers have an anointing on them. He was referring to Holy Spirit and he was assuring them that Holy Spirit will lead them in all truth. And then he finishes by saying, abide in him. And that's what John takes up now in this, this first part of what we've read this morning. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We are to abide or remain in Jesus. This is key to the ongoing strengthening of our faith. But it's so often overlooked. Well, what does it mean to abide? And abide is to remain or dwell in. It's, it's this digging deeper. It, it's spending time with Jesus. And in reality, it's the very pulse, the very lifeblood of following him. It's about loving Christ and loving his commands so much that we have this growing commitment to him. And in that commitment, obedience comes and there's daily submission and we willingly want to do that. It's living in such a way that people will see it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. We are called to choose that way of life. So when he appears, we will be confident. That's what it says in this passage. There is only going to be two responses on the day Jesus returns. There'll be those who experience shame and shrink from him. And they'll do that because they know the type of life they've led. They know they don't believe Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. They know they don't honour him. And they'll be ashamed on that day. No one will have to point out what they've done. They will know. And then there's this other group 
this other group who will experience confidence, who will welcome him, who, who will just have this great assurance grow in them as he comes, fulfilling his word. And we have waited in expectation for him. And trust me, even those of you who have little faith, on that day, that faith will grow and you will just love seeing Jesus. You will just love being in his presence and you will have this confidence that you've never experienced before. I believe that's what this word tells us. So this confidence that will come on us as the bride of Christ, remember that, we are the bride of Christ and we will finally be united with him. But there's further confidence to be found in the next verse. If you know that he is righteous, speaking about Jesus and God, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And John reminds us here that righteousness is an essential characteristic of every true Christian. Jesus spoke against those who had this false righteousness. They trusted in themselves as righteous or justified because of their moral accomplishments. But Jesus taught that the truly righteous are those who firstly humble themselves, acknowledging their sin and trusting God for forgiveness and righteousness. As we center our lives on Jesus, as we get to know him more and more through reading his word, through talking to him, through including him throughout our day in all that we're doing, his righteousness becomes part of who we are. We reflect him. And because we reflect him, we also reflect his righteousness. And a person's righteousness is an indication that they've been genuinely born again. Born of him. And in being born again, we have a new identity, a new identity in Christ. In chapter 227, which we've just covered, John mentions the fact that the believer's righteousness comes as an indication that they have experienced a genuine new birth. John then reflects on God's great love for us, which motivated him to send Jesus to die for our sins. He says here, what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that he, it did not know him. And it would seem there's a little lost in translation here. John is astonished and awed by the Father's love. A more accurate translation here would be, how great, how wonderful, how glorious is the love of God that he pours out upon us. But the words here fail to convey what John is saying. And I think it doesn't matter what words we use, it fails to convey what's actually being said here. We were objects of God's wrath. Do you realise that? Do you remember that? And deservedly so. And yet, so great, so inconceivable, so incredible was God's love that he poured that love out on us in such a way that we became objects of his love, bearing his name, called children of the Most High God. Have you ever dwelt in that? Have you ever thought upon that? We are unworthy, vile sinners, haters of God. We were taken, transformed and made children of God. And John seems to know that some of us are going to struggle with that because he calls us 
children of God, and then emphasises it by saying, and so we are. He's calling us to not doubt that. There is no sin that we have committed that has not been paid for by the blood of Christ. There's no partway into God's presence. We are all children of God, regardless of our background. And so we are. How incredible is that? How amazing. And we should stand in awe and wonder and amazement that while in the depths of my sin, God came and he found me. It was his work. It wasn't anything I did. He found me. And it's amazing. He claimed me, calling me his son. It's beyond belief. And if I had not experienced this myself, I would say it's impossible. There is no way it could happen. It is beyond human comprehension. And that's why the world doesn't know us. That's why. Because it is just so hard to comprehend. It is so hard to believe that we can have a relationship with God. And they can't believe it because they don't know God. And because they don't know God, they don't understand why we would commit ourselves to him. They don't understand the relationship we would have with him. They can't recognise that we are children of God. But being God's children is something that John repeats again and again. He says it in the next verse. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But when we know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We see here that John emphasizes that we are God's children now. It's not something we attain, it's not something we move before towards but we are his children now but as his children now we only have a glimpse of what is to come a hint of what it means to have the father as our own but when Jesus returns there'll be so many experiences that will surely be overwhelming to us he will appear and we will be like him just think about that will you I don't fully understand it. I don't understand how it could be. But it seems that on that day, when I see Jesus, when I'm caught up with him, when I'm going to him, I'm going to know this closeness with the Father, with God the Father, the same closeness that Jesus knows. That in itself blows my mind. How can I know God like that? What's that like? What's it going to be like? I don't have any words to describe what it will be like to know God the Father like Jesus does. The intimacy of that relationship, how that will happen. I have no words. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be seriously mind-blowing. It's going to be out of this world. And you know what? That's just the beginning. We're told in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So I'm caught on this earth and I'm trying to imagine what that last and final day is going to be when I'm in his presence in glory, but it's futile because scripture tells me there's no way I can possibly know. So regardless of how incredible I think it is, it's going to be so much more. You think of Isaiah and the glimpse he had. You think of John on the Isle of Patmos and the glimpse he had. Both of them trying to describe the incredible things they saw, but they were without words. 
But I do know I'm going to be incredibly blessed. I do know every believer is going to be incredibly blessed at that time. Romans 8, Romans 3, oh, sorry, Philippians 3, and many other places in Scripture tell us that the children of God, those who love God, will share in the glory of Christ. What is the glory of Christ? What's that going to be like? I'm not sure what it involves, but it's going to be exceedingly good, isn't it? It's going to be over and above anything we could possibly imagine. And I am assured, I am confident, that what we experience on that day and for all of eternity will be over and above anything I could ever possibly imagine. It's going to be incredible. But how should we prepare? We're told everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The purity spoken of here refers to the absence of any stain. It's a word that was used for the sacrifices that were made. So if we hope in Jesus, if we have an expectation that he's going to return, which we genuinely believe, then we should have a desire to live for him. We live in an expectation that we may meet him face to face at any time. And we want to be ready for when that happens. John is emphasising that we're focused on meeting Jesus. Then we will discover this renewed power to pursue righteousness and holiness in preparation for that time when we stand in his presence in glory. We are children of God, seeking to live for him in purity of mind and body while we wait for his return. And in living that way, we'll have a victory in Christ. John has focused on righteousness and purity and now he comes to discuss the obvious tension that that brings. I don't know about you, but I, I want to live righteously for God. I want to be this holy person. I want people to see Jesus Christ in me. But you know what? I mess up. I continue to stumble. I know that I sin. And John knows the tension between sin and purity or perfection in a believer's life and he addresses that now. And he says, anyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This is the only place that John uses the word that is translated lawlessness. Over in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the same word is used by Paul to describe one who is lawless and stands in direct opposition to Christ. So it could be said that John is saying that those who continue to sin or make a practice of sinning are participating in lawlessness, which is translated as rebellion against Christ and as one of the characteristics of the devil. The interpretation, sorry, this interpretation is supported a little bit later in verse 8, where John says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In this verse, John leaves no wiggle room. He doesn't leave any chance of people misinterpreting what he said. He says, those who continue in the practice of sinning are participating in the devil's work. They share in the rebellious character of the devil. To be clear, this is talking about those who have an ongoing pattern of sin, something they constantly return to and do so willingly. And John will address that in more detail soon. Here at the end of verse 8, John says, God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And he emphasises that in verse 5. 
He appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Jesus came to take away sin. He sacrificed himself on the cross and took our sins upon himself and the punishment that accompanies that. John says, wait, there's more. Not only did Jesus take all mankind's sin upon himself, but he is also without him sin. In him there is no sin. Jesus not only dealt with the sin then, he wants to deal with and oppose the sin now. He wants to continue his work in opposing sin, which affects mankind. He wants to remove the guilt of sin. And he wants to defeat sin's presence altogether. This is evident in the life of each and every Christian. I want you to think about what you were like before you came to Christ. And you may have been very different to me, but, you know, I did things which are sinful and in sometimes terrible, and it didn't worry me. I wasn't concerned about it. I didn't think about the consequences. And then we come to Jesus. We give our life to him. We humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I now acknowledge that I sinned and I sinned against you, Lord. And I ask for your forgiveness and I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow you. I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. And so we've humbled ourselves. We've committed to him. And so now when we sin, there, there's something that pushes back against us. It's, we're no longer trouble free when we sin. Those who are truly committed to Jesus who seek to follow him each and every day, those who make that humble commitment and submission to Jesus each and every day, want Jesus to continue to be Lord of their lives. So they daily, moment by moment, choose to follow him, making themselves available for his use and purpose. And that's our sanctification, setting ourselves apart each and every day for his holy use and purpose. And John says, no one who has a relationship like that, no one who abides in Jesus, submitting to him and obeying him, no one like that continues in sin. He emphasises his point again in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. John is basically saying, if you be born of God, having God's seed in you, then you will keep yourself from sinning. He says, if you are a child of God, you cannot keep singing, sinning. And obviously this creates great controversy because, as I've already said, I sin. So who's without sin here? We all know it, don't we? We, we all know we do things that are counter to what God would have us to do. And that's the way it should be. We should be able to acknowledge that. But what this means here is that if we are truly born again, if we adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, then we will not habitually commit sin. It can't be done because God's seed is in you. When we become followers of Christ, we have this nature of God given to us. It changes us and we become people who struggle with sin. I've told you about my struggles with it, but you know, when I sin, I get this sense of guilt. When temptations come, I don't just give in to them. I wrestle with them. I struggle with them. And if I do give in to them, then I feel shame. I feel remorse. I come back to God and I repent and I seek his forgiveness. And this happens because sin is no longer natural to me. Yes, I slip up. Yes, I have those moments where I sin. But the thing is, it affects me in a way that never did before I met Jesus. 
And it affects me like that because sinning is counter to the life that Christ would have me to live. This is one of the ways we know that we are children of God. And it's evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John sees only two types of people in the world, those who believe in Jesus and who live in such a way that it is clearly evident, and those who don't believe in Jesus, rejecting him, and so reflect the character of Satan in rebellion to Christ. So what's all that mean for us? And as I say, I've just touched on the surface here this morning. We haven't gone deep into any of this. There's so much you can learn from this passage of Scripture. So I just want you to think about a few things uh, as this message closes. Do you abide in Jesus? This is dwelling in him and his presence. It's about allocating time to get to know him and not allowing anything to encroach on that time. And when you spend time with him like that, it strengthens your faith. This is about reading his word and doing what it says. It's about speaking with him. It's about mixing with like-minded people and talking with them about our saviour. It's about building each other up in the faith. It's about gathering as we did this morning and singing praises of honour and glory to him, joining in the prayers of the saints, listening to his word. And again, doing what it says. This is what strengthens our faith. And the strengthening of our faith allows us to stand for Jesus, to have confidence in him. And so the question from that is, are you living in obedience to him? And so often when we think about living in obedience to him, it's almost like we we focus on the law and we just stand upright and we want people to see that we're doing the right thing. But we know scripture tells us it's much deeper than that. It's about girding up your minds. It's about reconditioning the way you think. And I'm not just talking about the guys and the way they think about women and things like that. That's part of it. But have you ever been angry at anyone? Have you got a temper or anything like that? We're told that's not the way a Christian lives. And so we have to recondition our mind. We have to submit to Jesus. We have to think the way that he thinks. When it comes to the poor and the homeless, how do you think about them? Jesus came to bring the gospel to the poor. Have we gone out of our way to make sure that we take the gospel to the poor? Have we taken steps to make that happen? It's about reconditioning our mind to not accept what the world tells us is okay and just leave those people out there to deal on their own. It's about having the mind of Christ, loving those guys just as Jesus did and taking action to express that love to them. And there's many other things we could touch on there. But we have to see others the way that Jesus saw them. We have to proclaim the gospel as we were called to. We have to seek the divine appointments that God puts in our path each and every day. And trust me, if you ask God for divine appointments each and every day, he will reveal them to you. If you ever want to hear about divine appointments each and every day, talk to my wife. My goodness. She is incredible. Something happens for her each and every day. It's amazing. When we look back over the last 12 months, oh, what, what a time it's been, yeah? 
But when you look back over the last 12 months, can you honestly say, I am now closer to God than what I was 12 months ago? And if you're not, what steps are you going to take in order to make that happen? I'm sure Pastor Josh and the elders of the church would love to talk to you and give you all sorts of ideas about how you can draw closer to God. But you need to take those steps. Uh, I'm going to put a little plug in here. There are so many people who hold the pastors of the churches responsible for their faith. Do you realise we get to spend about 50 hours with you a year? What are you doing with the rest of your time? Your faith is your responsibility. We can certainly say things that prompt you, but faith is your responsibility. We want to see you, everyone here. I mean, I hope when I'm standing in glory that the witnesses include you guys. I want all of you there as well. But I can't break your arm. I can't twist it so that you do these things. You have to do them. Has your life been truly transformed? Is it clearly evident that people experience God's love, grace and blessing simply by having you around? Have you met people like that where you just want to be with them because God's love just pours from them? I had one of those ladies over at my place last night. It was such a blessing to have this young person with me who so loves and serves the Lord. And and I'm recharged, I'm revigorated because of her. That's the way we should be. People should be able to see Jesus through you. Are you preparing yourself for Christ's return? If you're a follower of Christ, you are his bride. I want you to think in those terms. I I am yet to experience a bride when I've married many, many people and I'm yet to experience a bride who just rocks up in jeans and says, I thought this would be okay. There's all this preparation and time that goes into it. There's someone in our church at the moment, you know, they were six months out from their wedding and they were just dotting every I and crossing every T straight away. And we are called the bride of Christ. Shouldn't we dot every I and cross every T in preparation for his return and people he could return today? We do not know. And I know there's all these signs and things like that the scripture says will come before Christ returns. But I really do believe I'm going to get caught up in the air one day and I'm going to go, oh, that was that sign. I didn't interpret it that way. So we have to have this expectation that Jesus is going to return and as the bride of Christ, we need to prepare. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Going back to the brides. How many people have heard a bride say, I want my day to be perfect? Do we as a bride want our day to be perfect with Christ? No shame. Great confidence. Meeting him face to face. Have you given him all of yourself? Are you struggling with sin? We, we, we have this problem these days where we want people to think we've got it all together. But we don't. And so we don't want to confess our sin. We don't want to get help with those things, but we need to. Finally, do you spend time reflecting on God's incredible love for us? I say it again. We were children of wrath. Now we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's incredible. It's beyond reason. It's beyond comprehension. It leaves me in awe of my loving God. And I just want to honour, praise, glorify him because he is so worthy of that honour and praise. He has done so much for me. And from this passage of scripture this morning, we know the best is yet to come.
Let's prepare for him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray I've done justice to your word this morning. It's an incredible passage of scripture. And Lord, I just thank you that we are all sons and daughters of the Most High God who have submitted ourselves to you, who have humbled ourselves before you, who have acknowledged our sin and called you our Lord and Saviour. And so, Lord, this morning, I, I can't do anything. I ask you to do your work by Holy Spirit. I ask you will challenge people, Lord. I ask again that there was something in this passage which will just stir our hearts and want us to draw closer to you and that we will be willing to take those steps individually in order to draw closer to you. Take each of us, Lord, and use us for your glory and purposes this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.